Right, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome back to our study about how God used Moses to confront the mighty Pharaoh Dedemose, which we talked about last week at the end of Egypt's 13th dynasty, and how in the words of the Egyptians, the Egyptian historian, the Egyptian priest Manetho, as we talked about last week, we are studying how God smote the Egyptians. How that's, that's what we're looking at in, in these in this passage, like how God smote them, and he's going to do it with a series of extraordinary wonders and extraordinary miracles. If you're online, and if you're, you're here, we're not going to do truth talking here, but if you're online, you can truth type this only if it is true. Type these words. I believe in miracles, right? If, you, if that's true for you, and it, we'll wait for you to do that, and I'll just put on some background music. Feel free to just, you know, yes, type, truth type. I believe in miracles. Good. We're having a good time out there. We're connecting. Yes, good to see you guys doing this. All right, that's free. All right, that's fine. So, uh, good. So, good. Ma making that declaration, that's good. I want to remind you that we are, we are exploring today the, uh, the history uh, that's going on, where uh, this, the history which includes this supernatural, awesome, wonderful power of God at work. Uh, if you've been exploring this on your own, I kind of wonder if, if uh, some of you have been. It is very challenging, even for me, to, to sift through the, the, the Egyptology stuff. Uh, Egyptology is a mess. On the outside, it looks very clean and polished in the museums and in the books and, and in Google and all that kind of stuff. But you scratch the tiniest layer down and you realize it is, it, there's a lot of mess going on. Uh, we are... If you, if you are searching, make sure that you shift things to the new chronology uh, and, and, not, and not just settling on the old chronology. Uh, the Bible, the new chronology, the ancient writers such as Manetho and Ipuer, who we'll talk more about next week, they all place the exodus of Egypt, the plagues of Egypt around 1450 B.C. And that, that's where it's all connecting together at the end of the 13th dynasty during the reign of Pharaoh uh, Dedemose. So, okay, today we're going to look at the smiting. Or at least we're going to start looking at the smiting. Uh, maybe I was a little bit too enthusiastic about that. But we are, the smiting includes the ten plagues. And also I think I'll include the drowning of the army in the Red Sea. That's all kind of part of the uh, smite fest, I guess. But before we start uh, reading uh, about the smiting, and we're going to get to the first three plagues this week, I want to address three different lenses that people often think about and talk about when it comes to these ten plagues at a glance. Um, you've, you've heard of them, and you, you've probably, it's probably been uh, talked about in your presence before. Uh, one of the lenses that people talk about is how this is God's smiting of, uh, the, or, of judgment of the gods of Egypt. So you, you've got all these demon gods of Egypt and the exodus, the, these ten plagues are all about the, the, the judgment of these demon gods of Egypt. And that's biblical, actually. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 12 of Exodus, God says this. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and, and animals. I am Yahweh. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. All the gods of Egypt. So I just want to throw that out there because as we're going through this study, uh, part of what's going on here, we are watching God execute his judgment on the demon gods of Egypt. But here's what people do and here's what we're not going to do. Uh, they make charts. 
They make charts, and they're going to talk about how this plague is connected to this demon god. Now, we're not going to do that for two reasons. One, there's more than ten Egyptian demon gods, and we're not, I don't think the point was ever to try and match them all up. Some of the plagues definitely impact some of them at more of a frequency, and then some kind of maybe hit at the others. Uh, the, the, the point is that God's judging with these ten plagues is completely judging all of the gods, and, and we don't have to figure out which, which plague is going for which one. And also, it's hard to do. Um, if you Google it and you look at the charts of the Egyptian gods, they're a mess. They're a mess. It's like people are using bad Egyptology out there, and they're just choosing Egypt gods that were worshipped somewhere within a 2,000-year period. Some of them have yet to be worshipped. Some of them are done being worshipped, really, in Egypt, and they just kind of mash them into these charts to try and make it more convenient. That's not what we're doing, so uh, if that's what you want to do, uh, have fun with that quest. The point is, it's all, right? So all these plagues, there is a God judging of the, the demon gods of Egypt. That's going on. That's true. That's in the background. But we're not going to connect each one to each one. Okay? Um, sorry. Uh, the, second, the second lens that people will talk about is there, there's a lot of people out there who want to make this a natural thing. Uh, take away as much as the supernatural power of God, the miraculous massive uh, ex nihilo out of nothing power of god and they want to make this this plagues season feel like it just flows from event to event to event to event in, in a natural way and it's sure the timing's uncanny but but maybe god did a little nudge to get it going but ultimately there's a natural thing going on for example they would say as what the plagues that we're going to look at today uh water turns to blood is the first plague and they would say, okay, what happened was, is that there was a big rainstorm in Ethiopia. And all of this red mud came rushing down the Nile. It didn't allow for enough, enough oxygen in the Nile. And so then the fish died of lack of oxygen in the Nile. And it looked like blood. And, you, 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 you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt, we're going to ignore the fact that it says also that it's in the canals and the ponds and the water reservoirs and the stone uh, containers and the wood containers. So ignoring that, we're, we'll ignore that for that for this sake. Uh, and we're, so we're going to ignore like verses of the Bible to make this work. And and, and so there's going to and then naturally, of course, out of out of out of this um, dead fish uh, Nile because all the fish died. Um, then of course all the the frogs are like, hey, we're not going to hang around with a dead fish. That's awful. So we're going to go into the palaces because that's more fun. And so and so they 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 come in, and we're going to ignore the fact that that there's a lot of frogs, uh, 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 a lot a lot of frogs, and and yet, but it naturally flows is is what the point there. And then they die and they get piled up in heaps. I know I'm giving away the story, but but we'll get there. And then of course gnats happen. Of course yeah, gnats. Gnats and, and dead frogs, and, and it just kind of flows naturally. You've probably heard something like that, that, that actually that, that the God of the Bible isn't doing, it, it, maybe at first glance he's doing these extraordinary things, but, you know, they just kind of generally flow, and it's not as big of a deal as it is at first glance. I do not subscribe to that. Uh, but the, the so you've got this um, naturalistic view. That the issue with this theory is, uh, and, and it's a rather major one, um, not only does the Bible say something differently, but also some of the plagues do not naturally follow. <laughs> they just, they don't. Darkness in part of Egypt and not in other parts of Egypt doesn't naturally follow dead locusts. You're like, okay, there's dead locusts everywhere. Of course, what's next? Oh, no light. 
You know, like, it, it doesn't, or like boils. Oh, man, what, what comes after boils? Uh, hailstones. You know, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't necessarily flow as naturally as maybe some people want to. Now, some of them do. And, and I'm actually okay with that. I, I, when, when God's at work, I'm okay with, with the sense of God using, he doesn't have to do his miracles out of nothingness. Uh, no substance, and that's not the definition of a miracle. In fact, the definition of a miracle is more like this. A miracle is simply any time God intervenes in bigger and small ways. A miracle is simply any time God intervenes in bigger, small ways. And so sometimes he does things spectacular and, and out of nothing where there's no, uh, there's no other explanation. And then at other times, he does use the timings of events, but he uses them. He nudges things. He moves things. He does use, okay, this is going to flow to that naturally. It, and that's okay. That, that is not taking away anything from the miracles of God. Where we make the mistake in our generation when it comes to God's miracles is we classify miracles differently than the Bible does. We think a miracle is only a miracle if there's no other possible explanation. That's not how the Bible describes it. But that's, that's, that's tend to be how we think. If we can't come up with any other reason that something happened, and no matter how hard we try, then it's a miracle to us. But that's not what the Bible calls a miracle. If God steps in, if God does something, if he intervenes, big or small, it's a miracle. Even if it, if it has natural things behind it that are supernaturally guided, it's a miracle. Even if it's repeatable, explainable, if God is at work, it's a miracle. That's, that's the biblical definition there. Anyway, so you have this, it's natural without miracles really, or as little as possible is, is one of the views. Um, the other lens in theory is that these ten plagues are spectacular miracles of God that really happened. That really happened. Uh, and that's the story that we're tracking. And we are going to read about these spectacular wow and wonders of God. And, and, and yeah, God might use a bit of natural things to be doing that. Um, and, and even the Bible says he does at different times. Like, have you noticed how the Red Sea was parted by a mighty east wind? You know, he, he uses natural, natural phenomenon, perfectly timed. And, and, but also, God is judging the demons, uh, the, the demon gods of Egypt. And, and that is going to be going on. But our main focus for this study in these next couple weeks is in learning about miracles, the power of God, and more importantly, how to see them, how to identify them, and how to respond. How to see them, how to identify them, and how to respond. And spoiler alert, Pharaoh, Pharaoh isn't going to respond well to, to the miracles of God. And the Bible tells us why over and over and over again. Because he has a hard heart. Because he has a hard heart. Okay, let's dive in. Let's dive in. Um, I'm going to be picking up where we left off-ish <laughs> last week in chapter 7. And I'm going to be reading a, a bunch here, starting in verse 7, verse 1. What happens here? Uh, 7, verse 1, Yahweh answered Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you. Then Aaron your brother must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders, or miracles, in the land of Egypt... Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. 
The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. So Moses and Aaron did this. They did just as Yahweh commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83. Octogenarians can change the world. Uh, when they spoke to Pharaoh, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh tells you perform a miracle, tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and did just as Yahweh had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a serpent. But then... Pharaoh called the wise men, or the sages, and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt. Um, notice the classification of wise men and sorcerers are connected to the magicians of Egypt. It's like, like, like Babylon, wise men, magi. And they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Um, each one threw down his staff, and it became a serpent. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he did not listen to them, as Yahweh has said. Then, verse 14, Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. So, uh, sorry, go to Pharaoh in the morning. When you see him walking out to the water, stand ready to meet him by the bank of the Nile. Take, your, take in your hand the staff that turned into a snake. Full stop. Here's, here's a reconstruction of where we're at. Okay? Uh, there, this is... Uh, Avaris again, the palace. Uh, actually, it's the same picture I showed you where Moses was found and drawn out of the water, where it's a small area here. It, Moses is having this confrontation right outside where he's found, right along the river here. Um, Princess Merit, that's not super visible from here, but it's, um, it's online. I'm sure it's splendid. Uh, now, I, I want to say something about this, this confrontation. Yes, they're right here on the, on the, on the Nile here. But most, this is in Avaris, most of the plagues, moments, and confrontations do not take place here. Uh, this is the summer palace. The autumn, winter uh, palace is going to be way down south in Luxor, Thebes area. And, and that's where most of the confrontations place, pl take place. And you know that because you see all this distinction between in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites are, this, it was light, and then here, where Pharaoh is, it's bad. Um, the, the plagues, the Jewish people would say that the, the plagues take place over the course of a year. So, of course, Pharaoh's going to be in his different locations throughout the course of a year. That's in the Mishnah. Um, whether it's true or not, it's definitely at least a four, four and a half, five month period of time, just minimum. So, so think of this as an expanded period of time. Not all the events are taking place here. Uh, okay, that's just, that's just for fun. The spiritual lesson that I want to focus on here. Uh, is connected to Pharaoh and how he responds to the miracles of God. All through this story, today and, and, and next, in the next weeks, Pharaoh is going to be rejecting the messages of God. He's not going to respond to the miracles of God. And why is that? The Bible says because his heart is hard. Because his heart is hard. Over and over again, we're going to see this being identified. The first miracle which took place before the first plague. The snake one isn't one of the plagues. The first miracle which took place before this, the, the, the plagues there, it said in verse 11 and 12, because the magicians could do the same miracle. 
because the magicians could do the same miracle, or at least close enough to it for, their, for Pharaoh's benefit, it said in verse 13 that Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them. Because the magicians could do something similar. In our generation, this is an everyday response to the miracles of God. In our generation, for most Christians, we aren't going to be wowed by the wonders of God. We aren't, we aren't going to be, we aren't going to be uh, dazzled by God's work. We're not going to celebrate His miracles unless there's absolutely no other explanation. Then we might be wowed. But if someone else can do something very similar, well, okay, then it's not that big of a deal. And we're not going to be celebrating uh, God's great work in our lives. We, and, and because of that, we miss so much of the miracles of God. We miss so much of the activity of God, just like Pharaoh here, because they don't register as unique enough. If it's not unique enough or spectacular enough, then we're just not going to identify it. But God is so much at work. He is so much at work in, in our world today. He's so much at work. Uh, but Christians in our generation aren't taking this to heart. They're not taking hardly any of the works of God to heart because they're not registering that some of what they're seeing and much of what they're seeing is actually God intervening. That God is at work and he's doing miracles all around them. And we say things like, wow, that was just lucky. Or wow, I am so fortunate that that just happened that way. Lucky timing or, or whatever. And, and, and I want to say that because it's easy when we're reading the Bible. We know that Pharaoh is the bad guy. <laughs> we know that he's not, he, he's, he's not the guy that we want to be like. And so we know that he has a hard heart. And so naturally we would say to ourselves as, as uh, pride-filled humans uh, that I would never be like that. I, will never, I would never be like the bad guy, like Pharaoh. I would never have a, a bad heart, a, a hard heart that, would, that wouldn't perceive God at work or do what God wants uh, or, or listen to God. But again, it, when we respond that way, when we think about Pharaoh, that's a pride response. And pride is a hard-hearted response. It's when I'm not going to identify and even evaluate, do I have a hard heart towards God these days? And, and what is that? And how would I know if I did? I have a hard heart, often. And I'll help you out with this message. You do too. You do too. Everyone has large seasons of their life where they have a hard heart. And maybe you're in one now. Maybe you're in one now. In, d Christians have hard hearts all the time. Um, Jesus rebukes his disciples after he rises from the dead in Mark chapter 16. For having a hard heart, he rebukes them for their hard-heartedness because they wouldn't believe what they were being told. And, and then in, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, you see over and over again about the hard warnings about Christians not having, don't have a hard heart, don't have a hard heart. It's in Hebrews, yeah, 3 and 4. Pharaoh's heart here is, is hard. He doesn't listen to what God is telling him. That's the symptom. He doesn't listen to what God is telling him. He doesn't respond to the message of God coming through these people. And he doesn't think the... Miracles of God were that big of a deal, worth being wowed by. Symptoms of a hard heart. But let, let's keep reading because I stopped right in the middle of a paragraph. Verse 16, tell him, Yahweh, the God, uh, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness, but so far you've not listened. This is what Yahweh says. Here is how you will know that I am Yahweh. Watch. I'm about to strike the water in the Nile with the staff in my hand, and it will turn to blood. The fish in the Nile will die, the river will stink, 
and the Egyptians will be unable to drink water from it. So Yahweh said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, canals, ponds, and all the water reservoirs, and they will become blood. There will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in the wooden and stone containers. Moses and Aaron did just as Yahweh had commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and his officials, he raised the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad, the Egyptians could not drink water from it. There was blood throughout the land of Egypt. But the magicians, but the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their occult practices. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to them as Yahweh had said. Pharaoh turned around, went into his palace, and didn't take even this to heart. All the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink because they could not drink the water from the river. Seven days passed after the Lord's Yahweh struck the Nile. Again, Pharaoh's heart is hard. And because his magicians could do the same thing, because there was another explanation be, be, besides this incredible Yahweh, God of the Bible miracle, this miracle didn't even phase him. He just turns around and he, and he just goes back in. Un, un, unfazed. Didn't even take it to heart. God is so active. But if we only attribute God's work to the things that have no other possible explanation, then we can be blind. Then we can be as blind and, and hard-hearted as, as Pharaoh here. If, if only our eyes, and this is our prayer, if only our eyes could be open to see all that God's doing. If only they could be open to see what God's doing in our, in our lives, in our cities. Our lives are full of God's activity, of God's miracles. And, and if you're online, I encourage you to truth type a prayer. Truth type the prayer. And the prayer is, God, help me to see. God, help me to see every miracle in my life. God, help me to see every miracle around my life. God, help me to see. Help me to see. Let's keep going. We got um, in chapter 8, in chapter 8, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, this is what Yahweh says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. But if you refuse to let them go, then I will plague all your territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They will come up and go into your palace, into your bedroom, and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and your people, and into your ovens and kneading bowls. The frogs will come up on you, your people, and all your officials. The Lord Yahweh then said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, canals, and ponds, and cause the frogs to come up Onto the land of Egypt. When Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same thing by their occult practices and brought frogs up onto the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Appeal to Yahweh to remove the frogs from me and my people. Then I will let the people go and they can sacrifice to Yahweh. Moses said to Pharaoh, you may have the honor of choosing 
when should I appeal on behalf of you, your officials, and your people that the frogs be taken away from you and your houses and remain only in the Nile? Tomorrow, he answered. Moses replied, as you have said, so that you may know there is no one like Yahweh our God. The frogs will go away from you, your houses, your officials, and your people. The frogs will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, Moses cried out to Yahweh for help concerning the frogs that he had brought against Pharaoh. Yahweh did as Moses had said. The frogs in the houses, courtyards, and fields died. They piled them in countless heaps. There was a terrible odor in the land. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as Yahweh had said. Again, Pharaoh's heart is hard. Now, now this is also really classic today. When we ask God for something. When we ask God to do something, to intervene in our lives, to, to do a miracle. In Pharaoh's case, that the frogs would be gone, not just gone someday, but gone tomorrow. When we ask God for a miracle or for his help in some way, and then it happens, and then God does it, a hard heart doesn't take it to mind. A hard heart doesn't take it to mind. We, in, in Pharisee, he just put it out of his mind. And, and often we, we don't even track when God answers our prayers. We're not even paying attention when he answers our prayer requests. That's why in fasting weeks and special seasons of prayer, we, we get these cards and we want you to write down your prayer requests so you can remember what you've been praying so that when, when God answers your prayers, you can praise him for it because it's way too easy. We know it's, it's way too easy to ask God for things, for, ask for his help, and then it happens. But then... We say things to ourselves in our innermost hearts, you know, it, it probably just happened anyways. It, it probably just happened. It, maybe it was just destined to happen and actually God didn't do anything. So I kind of feel a little awkward praising him for a direct answered prayer. Because, you know, I mean, it, it might have just happened. It probably wasn't God. That's a classic symptom of a hard heart. God answers your request. You move on as if, as if he didn't answer your request, as if he didn't just do some miracle for you. Failing to see that, that he answered your prayer, definitely failing to praise and celebrate him for it. That's, that's Pharaoh here, and that's a hard heart issue. Let's keep going. One more. There's one more plague I want to look at today. So it says, then Yahweh said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the land, and it will become ganats. Nats, throughout the land of Egypt. And they did this. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, and when he struck the dust of the land, gnats were on people and animals. All the dust of the land became gnats throughout the land of Egypt. The magicians tried to produce gnats using their occult practices, but they could not. The gnats remained on people and animals this is the finger of God, the magician said to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to them, as Yahweh had said. Again, this time the magicians, they can't duplicate it. They can't duplicate what God has done. This time there's no other explanation. But his heart is still hard. It's just hard. And, and, and he was just not going to listen. Sometimes we make excuses. Well, if there's no other explanation, then I will acknowledge God. But then, Really? Really? Pharaoh doesn't. And it's going to just go on like this for ten plagues, right? I'm not going to go through them all right now. But I think you get the point. 
This is just Pharaoh and his, and his hard heart issues. I was on a call this week with a bunch of pastors from all throughout Scotland. And I was listening to them to describe what they're seeing take place in their churches. And, and I, I definitely do not think that our church is in the same boat in, in this area. But people all throughout, it's churches that are good churches with, with good, good pastors and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and they're describing a Christianity across our nation that is not getting more fresh and alive with God, but is hardening towards God. The Christians, their hearts are hardening throughout the land. And this is what they're, they're describing on, on this call. Um, people in their churches are not hungry. They're not hungry to watch even their services online anymore. They're not hungry to show up if they can. They're not hungry to watch live uh, anymore. Uh, they've moved from this mindset from, yes, I'll watch it online with people to I'll watch it whenever I get to it because it's going to be online to mm, I don't get to all of them very often even though I have a week between them. I just, it just kind of this, this regression, of, there's a lack of hunger it's church, it's Sunday, it's God's people, it's worship time, it's, it's feeding time. It's, it's got, that, that, that hunger is just, just sliding away, a massive loss of eagerness and hunger. Fewer people than they've expected have wanted to, to show up to their buildings on Sundays. Again, uh, it's, it's full here, but uh, th this is what they're seeing. They're seeing this loss of hunger in, in our nation, a loss of passion for God, a loss of passion for the church, a loss of pa passion for the Bible, a lot of passion for time and prayer. Uh, a loss of, lots of passion for eagerness to hear what God's, a lot of that loss of passion for any sort of connection with God's people to spur one another on and towards love and good deeds. You know, there's a high level of discouragement in our nation and a low level of connection with God's people in our nation. They're, they're not wanting to do this like small groups thing because they're online and, and that's just kind of, it's not, it's not the same, okay. But the discouragements are going up and, and the, okay, not, this is just going on. Um. The opposite of a hungry heart, sorry, the opposite of a uh, hard heart is a hungry heart. The opposite of a, of a hard heart is a hungry heart. I, I guess, you know, I, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking to myself, what's going on in my church? I don't know. I don't know what's going on in, in people's hearts these days. Are, are, is your heart hungry towards God these days or is it, is it the opposite of that these days? Is it, a, is it more of a, a hard heart? Uh, maybe if you're online, you can, you can do a prayer typing thing. And, and a prayer type, you know, no matter where you're at, God, give me a hungrier heart. You know, even if you've got a, a heart that's eager for God, more. God, give me a hungrier heart. Give me a hungrier heart. You can just prayer type that on the chat. Another thing on the call that I'm, I'm hearing too is, uh, yeah, again, people are less likely to show up to their small group stuff online. They're just not hungry to connect. One of my passions here for this church is that we would have a passion for, for the Bible, but I call it a Psalm 119 passion for God's Word. A Psalm 119, the, the, the writer of Psalm 119, he's got all these um, powerful ways to just ex express his passion when it comes to God's Word. In, in verse 70, we read this Their hearts are hard. Their hearts are hard and insensitive, but I delight. In your instruction, or I delight in your Bible. Their their hearts are hard and insensitive. They're not they're not they're not um, receiving anything as they read your Bible. They're insensitive to your word. They're not responding to your word. But I delight in it. I cherish it. I, I'm hungry. That's what I kind of that's what I want in our church: a, a fire, a passion for God's word, hungry hearts for the Bible, yeah, hard hearts. They they don't read it much, or they don't want to read it. 
unless they absolutely have to, and when they do read it, it has very low impact. Very low impact. Again, I'm not saying this to be anybody up. I'm just saying this is, this is just a, a definition. And, and, I, and I want you to assess, how am I doing in this, in this area? How am I doing? Again, not no guilt, no shame. This is just a simple assessment. COVID has been a difficult season. It has been a really challenging season. We, you pull pe- people apart, like God's people, from being able to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and we try our best with things, but it has been a hard season. Again, there's no blame. Uh, in, in our church, I know that some people have gotten more alive, feel, feel closer to God, hungrier for God. I, I get, I get, I've had conversations with people, and, and they've been like, Brian, Bible reading was too slow for me. I, and, and so what do I do? And, and, and I'm like, okay, well, this is what I do. And I, I have this other bit, and I kind of have this other read-through bit that's kind of just for me. And I'm kind of going at this pace at a different part of the Bible. And, and then uh, going with my, my Bible group at, at this pace. And, and it just because, you know, I, yeah, I don't want to go that slow. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of time. There's, there's, there are people here who are just hungry for God who are like, it's Sunday. I'm showing up. Laura can't keep me out of this place. I, I am going to be there. I'm going to be in this, in this, in this, in this room. And, and, uh, and, and it's fun. They're just going for it. Um, but I know that others aren't feeling as hungry. But I don't know exactly where our church is at. So I want to do a survey. I want to do a survey. You're not going to do the survey in the room. Sorry, everybody. You're not going to do the survey in the room because I don't, we're not going to do hand raising. Um, but online, there's going to be two buttons that you can push. One of them is basically, I'm, hung, I'm, I'm hungrier for God these days. And one of them is, I'm less hungry for God these days. Okay? And, and I, this is, uh, it's anonymous. It's not going to tell us anything other than a number. So you don't have to worry about clicking or, or whatever if you're online. You just, you just click just one of those two boxes. Um, don't click both. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, just one of those two. And that's, that's going to help us with good feedback. I, I, I'd like to know where we're at as a church to see where to lean into. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. And no, I'm not going to play background music while you click. I think that should be quick. Um, so you click on those buttons. Uh, I, I do carry, though, in my heart um, a troubledness. Like, I, I'm troubled for the state of Scotland. I, I'm troubled for, for the hardening of hearts. I'm, I'm, tr- I'm in anguish about people feeling disconnected from each other and, and from, from God's people. I'm, I'm troubled by their, their lowering of passion for God's word and, and time together and all that. So I was talking to my mentor about this on Wednesday. And I was like, DC, his name is Don Cook. Uh, what, what do I do? How, what, what do I do? Like, the, 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 so many people, that there, there's, there's just a lack of hunger that's growing, and it's just, it's getting worse and worse for a lot of people. And what can I do to see, see this kind of change direction? And he thought about it for a moment. And he said, Brian, your people need, in his words, they need a revival. And, and not like a big tent meeting revival, because that's not COVID-friendly, but a revival which is to to come alive again. People need to come alive again towards God. I use the word reawaken. They need to be reawakened again to God. And and in this season, where where some people's hearts have gotten harder from God or less alive, uh, those hearts need to be revived. They, They need to be reawakened. Now, again, this is anonymous, and I, I want everybody in the room to cross their arms like this so nobody can see your thumbs, okay? No thumb peeking. Uh, online, you're going to have a button to push, uh, and, in, and if, instead of pushing a button, what you're going to do 
with your hidden thumb is if this is you, you can put your thumb between your, your fingers here. I have asked 50 people if this is a rude gesture. So far, I don't think it is, okay? <laughs> Again, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's cool in this world. But if this is a rude gesture, now is the time. Please let me know. Is this a rude gesture? It is hard to stand up in front of people without confirmation. But anyways, so you're going to stick your thumb between this, and that's the way that you're going to acknowledge it only to yourself. The anonymous survey button uh, that I want you to either click on or to respond to is, is this. My heart needs to be revived. My heart needs to be revived. And, I, and I'd love it if you're connecting that or if you're in a room full of people out there and you're watching this, you can do the arms crossed thumb thing. No, no, I, I don't need to know. Nobody needs to know. It's safe here. But do you know? Can you cl- acknowledge if your heart needs to be revived? If it's not hungry these days. Again, you're going to want to keep your arms folded. It's, it's super fun for me because you look really hostile. But, but I'm going to do another, another thing I- in a moment here. The question is, how do you move from a harder heart towards a softer heart? Towards a more alive heart? And it starts by confessing and admitting it. Which I hope you've just done to yourself if that's what you need to do. So you've, you've acknowledged in some way, okay... Today, I, I have, I'm admitting it, at least to myself. I have a harder heart right now, and something needs to change. If I want to walk in that fresh relationship with God, then the next step is choosing. The next step is choosing. It's choosing to not be okay with that. Choosing to run again after God. Choosing to stop, let apathy and lack of passion be your decision-making guide. Choosing to to run after, dive back in, whether you feel excited about it or not. Dive back into your Bible groups. Dive back into the the, the worship times. Dive back into being engaged with church, church online, trying to get into the the building. I I hope next week we have 200 people wanting to come to this gathering and and just being like, no, I want to be in the room. And if you've never been here, you're like, oh, but you can't sing, so that must be awful. But there's also something special that you're just going to have to see it to believe it. So I encourage you to, like, to, to dive back in, to dive back in. And, and, and I know that, that you're, some of you are like, I don't want to do Bible read-through right now because, because it's on Zoom, and I hate Zoom, and I don't want to do that. I feel awkward, and it's just not the same. I get that. And I'm going to say this as kindly as I possibly can, but maybe you need to stop being a little bit of a princess about this whole Zoom thing. And just, it's just the moment we're in, guys. It's what we've got. We can't do anything else. It's, it, we want to be meeting in person. Again, I'm not dissing princesses. Yay, princesses. But, but right now, guys, there's something really important about keeping going, about reading together, about bringing your shares to your group so they can hear what God is, uh, is encouraging you with, so you can hear what God's encouraging them with. That's way more important than Zoom aversion. And, and I just encourage you to just keep going with that, to, to lean back in, to show up, to show up live, it, not in, either in person or online at the same time, and be with us right now with God's people and, and um, interact on the chat. Uh, I encourage you to, have an, to say, I'm going to have now an eager heart. I'm going to run after an eager heart, and I'm going to, I'm going to suppress and, and squelch the moany heart. I'm not going to have a moany heart anymore. I don't like Zoom. I don't like it. I, I'm going to have an eager heart. And I'm just going to feed that. 
I'm going to choose to not be apathetic, to be moaning, go for it again. I'm going to also choose to look again and see where God is at work in my life. Instead of thinking about how uncomfortable I am, God, where are you at work? Open my eyes so that I can see the ways that you are at work, your miracles around me, your activity around me, the ways that you're intervening around my life. When we start running after God, he, he shows up with a smile. He's like, yes, that's something I, I want to partner with. He's got, they're going for it again. They're putting away the grumbling, and they're, and they're going to run after me, and I'm going I'm to meet with them in that moment. If you're ready to do that, you've got your arms crossed. I forgot that was why your arms were crossed. I was like, sheesh. Uh, the, the button on the screen is going to say, I choose today to run after God with, all my, with my heart and passion. It says, I choose to run after God with my heart and passion today. Uh, if you're in this room, you can keep this secret, and you can just be like, yes, I'm making a choice today. Moaniness, no more. I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to turn the corner here in my pursuit, pursuit of God. And that's the challenge. That, that's the challenge. If hardness and apathy have taken any flavor of, of, of grasp on your heart, if you've, if you've been struggling to see God at work in your life, in your world today, uh, it, it's time to choose to lean in, to, to choose to start looking. God is at work in your life. God is very present. And so ask him to, to soften your heart so you can see and celebrate the ways that he's at work. We're going to continue this next week, but I want to pray for us all right now. In fact, God, God, I just ask right now for your, a spirit of refreshing to fall on your people. To fall on your people powerfully. To reawaken, to revive, to cause to live again all of our hearts. And even if our hearts have fresh, and maybe we're even in more fresh places than we've ever been in our lives, I say more. More, God. Holy Spirit, come and, and, and take hard hearts and, and give us hearts that are of flesh, of sensitivity towards, towards, towards you. Eyes that see, hearts that are, celebrate the wonderful things that you're doing. Awaken us, awaken us, awaken us. And God, if there's, I guess, if you're listening here, no, I'm not saying that in a prayer. God, I know you're listening. Now I'm talking to the people. Uh, if you want to dedicate your life to Jesus, or rededicate your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been away from Jesus for a while. This is your prayer. God, here I am. I choose today to run after you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength. I am going to run after you now. I am not going to just be apathetic. I'm not just going to walk through life anymore. I am going to lean in and I'm going to run after you. Forgive me. Forgive me. And restore to me or give to me the joy of salvation, putting your Holy Spirit within me. In Jesus' name, amen.